Welcome to Real Estate Coaching Radio, starring award-winning real estate coaches and number one international best-selling authors, Tim and Julie Harris. This is the number one daily radio show for realtors looking for a no BS, authentic, real-time coaching experience. What's really working in today's market, how to generate more leads, make more money, and have more time for what you love in your life. And now your hosts, Tim and Julie Harris. Three, two, one, and we are back. Welcome back. We have a great podcast. I think it's a one or two days podcast. Two part series. Right. And we are answering the question, the question, really an objection that all of you are hearing that once you know the resolution to how to overcome this particular objection, you will be listing a lot more uh, homes and obviously selling a lot more homes to your buyers. What you're hearing from your would-be sellers is, I would sell my house, Julie Harris, if I had a place to go. That's right. I'd sell, but where would I move to? We're going to help you have 10 ways to handle that objection. After all, an objection is simply a question in the mind of the, in this case, uh, prospect for listing, right? So I'd sell, but where would I move to? You know, you guys are hearing that all the time. And for most agents, that's the end of the conversation. Simultaneously ending the possibility of taking a new listing as well as facilitating that buyer side. After all, nationwide inventory is at an all-time low. You're not imagining that. That's according to Altos Research this week. The listings available are only 414,000. Well, that might sound like a lot, but we're still at least a million listings shy of being anywhere close to a balanced market. Let's define that. So what we are seeing here is historically low a number of homes for sale. Y'all knew that, didn't you? Mm -hmm. But what you're also seeing is that it's so far away from a balanced market. That's essentially where for every one listing or every one home for sale, there's one buyer that wants to purchase it. And I'll give you guys a little window into the future. We are going to be like this for a long period of time. And all of the reasons why uh, we have discussed on previous podcasts. That's right. So don't just answer when they say, I'd move, I'd sell, I'd list with you, but where would I move? Don't just say the typical, yeah, there's really nothing on the market. I mean, everything in the MLS is already pending. I'll put you into my search widget and we'll watch for something to pop up together. Well, that is one method of finding something someday for your would-be sellers to buy, but you can't end the conversation there and expect to do any business this year. As Tim just said, you can expect it to be like this for a while. And by the way, those of you who are buying buyer leads, hey, how about this? Stop buying buyer leads because for the most part, your bought buyer leads are going to be a total waste of money. Mm -hmm. At the very least, an exercise in futility. You have enough opportunities, but you have to pivot your thinking and focus more on where the opportunities are, which are going to be the listing side of the equation. And we're going to give you 10 drill down points on what you can be doing to create inventory. Because ultimately, guys, think about this. You're going to be creating a listing or listing lead, and you probably already have a buyer for said listing lead. You just need to move away from the idea that you're going to be spoon-fed opportunities and start creating your own. It's what Julie and I call being a passive lead generator to being a proactive lead generator. That's right, because after all, you've probably noticed that market forces are working against you. Rates are higher, although landing at about 6.5% last week is a step in the right direction. There's still quite a bit higher than what you guys would like. And inventory is scarce. So now you can add some inflation, the specter of a possible financial crisis, 
and overall uncertainty, and you now have a transitioning market. You forgot the alien visitations and, exactly. the, and the pandemic and All that election stuff. cycles and war in the Ukraine. So, I mean, really, at the end of the day, this is the time where an agent that has skills, and along with skills, you're going to have a really powerful mindset, can make the most of the market because most people are walking around with their hands up in there not knowing what to do, waiting to be told what to do. That's exactly right. So you now have a choice to make. You can either wait for the market to bounce back or you can create your own opportunities by being a lot more proactive. We prescribe to the mantra, hope for the best but plan for the worst. So assume that you are not going to wake up to 3.5% interest rates and double the inventory. That is not likely to happen. Probably in most of your careers. Those days your are lifetime. over. Well, yeah, Possibly. well, that's true. I mean, that is true. There probably will never be a time for uh, like what we just experienced. It was uh, all kinds of reasons that we won't discuss on today's podcast. But until there's an enormous number of new homes that will be built, and that is going to be a big surge, you Mark my word, it's guys, coming. we're going to be talking about new construction until the cows come home as being one of the greatest sources of listing inventory. But you're also going to see if those of you are investors, the new home builder stocks are going to go through the roof. That is where the growth is going to be in the housing market. The resale, for the most part, those folks are locked into long-term low interest rates. And there's not much motivation right now for them to want to sell if they're purely aspirational, or frankly, if they're purely in it for making more money. So you're going to have to really accept the fact that your buyers and your sellers in a market like this are going to be the ones that are the motiv are motivated by really financial changes or lifestyle changes. And there are millions of them like that. That is your traditional a real estate client. Someone who's moving because the house is too big, house is too small. Someone who's moving because they financial reasons, legal reasons, all kinds of things. But the speculative mover or the voluntary move up type who you know a lot of people have just said, well, I've been here two years. It's time for me to cash out and move on up. Those people are going to be on the sidelines and maybe for the rest of your careers. So in order for you to get at uh, the real heart of the business, which are the absolutely positively motivated buyers and sellers, it's going to take a lot more skill. That's right. So back to our conversation with that would-be seller client who won't list with you today because they don't want to become homeless. Here are 10 solutions. We're going to do five today and five tomorrow that go beyond waiting and watching for magic inventory to arise in your MLS. So part one, point one, consider building a home. Tim just mentioned new construction. There is a lot of that going on. There is actually a lot of existing inventory out there. Consider building a home instead of chasing after the scarce resale inventory. There are several advantages to this option. First, many builders are buying down interest rates using their in-house financing. A lot of the builders are buying it down into the fives right now. The buyer can lock in a better rate this way. Next, the house is new. That means no rehab for them and no inspection woes for you. Your client can get their home on the market a couple of months prior to completion and not have to move twice. Finally, when your client builds, they aren't having to compete in a bidding war. So Julie said a lot in there, and really the bottom line is, is builders almost always have an unfair advantage um, in any market, but especially a market like this, because most people would prefer a new home opposed to a resale home. There's examples where that's not true, obviously, you know, certain uh, more, you know, built up sub uh, suburban or even urban areas that are highly desirable. But for the most part, for most of you listening, and this podcast have tens of thousands of you that download it every single day, you're going to have most of your success when you really befriend all the local builders. Now, we talked about builders uh, infinitum on this podcast. Mm -hmm. Make sure you go back and listen to past podcasts. And obviously, if you're watching us over on YouTube, uh, you can um, 
you know, gather all the past information there. But there are many different classifications of builders you should be pursuing. And the big builders, the big national builders are just one of them. But there's medium-sized builders. There's small builders. There's people that are just selling lots. And then, you know, maybe there's a subdivision where you bring your own builder. You need to be drilling down on all these possibilities because what you then start creating are answers to the people that said they'd love to list their house if they had a house to build or rather a house to move to. You then can get them a house to move to. And maybe while their house is being built, they can rent something. In the meanwhile, you're going to double in. You're going to sell their existing house to one of your buyers. This is the market where agents with skills will dominate. Yes, that's exactly right. So case in point, Patrick in Columbus, Ohio, one of my uh, new elite coaching clients, we went through his list of not one, not two, but about 20 buyers who were both motivated and qualified, either cash or approved or loan commitment, right? Real buyers. And we determined one of his homework assignments was to go through that list and ask yourself of those 20 or so who are simply not in contract because he hadn't found him anything, many of them with listings to come, how many of those 20 would be potentially good build clients? And he came up with six and that was his weekly homework. Let's then we go through the builders, who's building what, where, I'm and we make a match. But I'm curious. So why was it only six of the 20? What were happen- What happened to the other 14? Why aren't uh, they good build Price clients? range. Price range okay. would be one. Uh, the, and we talked about sometimes clients will say, well, new construction isn't for me. And so the coaching on that is to at least go show, you know, would you at least consider, let's just make sure that you're going to rule that because out. They're, because they're locked into a geographic area primarily. Geographic, primarily. or maybe they have a picture. They've never been to new construction. They don't really have a feel for what mm. that even means. They have the perception that they're not going to have any trees, that kind of thing. They want sidewalks. They want the traditional neighborhood feel. But at least six, and with that conversation, there could be more. Those are potential deals. So Patrick's job is to marry the buyer's needs with the right builder. When we talked about registering with builders and all the new construction stuff. And a lot of builders have inventory that's not officially for sale that they're building that maybe somebody backed out on or maybe they build as a spec. Because remember, guys, most of the houses, let's say in frame, when did those actually start? When did those actually, you know, maybe six months ago, if you were living in like Columbus, Ohio, where Julie and I used to live, you know, they're not doing a lot of construction on those things, building foundations because they're basements. Uh, you're not digging holes in the winter. So you're talking about, you know, the builders may have started some of these houses as specs a while ago, and they might be sitting on more than they like. These create huge opportunities. And back to Julie's original point, if someone is really payment uh, sensitive, which most people are, obviously, then you can uh, steer them towards a lot of these builders who will be more than happy to buy down the interest rates. Now, what does that mean, Julie, when someone buys mm-hmm. down an interest rate? Okay. So, and what's interesting is that how many buyers were willing to go way over list price with all that cash? You you can buy your own rate down if you want to. Yep. But builders, is very common, especially the bigger builders, have in-house financing. So they will subsidize the mortgage by paying the lender one or two points to, quote, buy down the interest rate. So that Let, a, a normal a, rate would be six and a half. They're going to get it to four and a half. Let's make it more practical. So sure. someone is building a million dollar house. Okay. Let's just okay. say to keep the math easy, right? Okay. Sure. Um, that way we can, you know, we don't have to figure out. <laughs> right. All right, right. So they're building a million dollar house. The build, uh, the prevailing interest rate right now is? About six and a half. Okay. So someone, in order to get a payment where they want it, they want to, or frankly, maybe they want to build more of a house and so that they need to figure out a way to make the cash flow work. Right. Uh, they need to buy the rate down to five and a half. Sure. Or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. So what the builder does, making this very practical, is the builder will then take money <laughs> and they'll give the money to the lender and they'll then essentially buy the interest rate down to make the rate lower. And there's also other hybrid versions of that too. But the mm-hmm. essence of it, and again, we talked about this a lot on the podcast, 
But the essence of it is, is that you can make the payment lower. Now, you can also do this on resale, by the way. You can. It's just a lot more difficult to get a resale seller to kind of open their mind to that uh, because the builder can build in um, – because the builders, most builders are making 20% margins on yes. these houses. Mm -hmm. And so if they have to make a little bit less and maybe make a little bit more here, a little bit there, you know, they can easily get their appraisal to work out. Whereas in a resale home, they're actually – their appraisers, as you guys are now learning – are being a lot more restrictive about values and really making it tight to actual comps. That's right. And builders have a you know a lot more flexibility at volume, right? And in fact, I listened to a really interesting podcast about this, that builders were making when the market was even hotter and rates were lower, builders were making 30 to 35% margins. So now builders are saying, you know, I was great at 20%. I'm, that's still fantastic. I'm Instead of making that extra 15%, I'm going to apply that to helping more buyers qualify and get those rates down. And you can't, sometimes they're adjustable, sometimes there's fixed. You know, there's such a thing as a 10-year adjustable, so you're fixed for 10 years. You're probably going to move in that time. Actually, you're bringing up a whole bunch of interesting points for what you just said. And listeners, I want you to really drill down, okay? Most people aren't going to stay in their house 10 years. Right. I mean, they're going to stay in the house five to seven years. Their needs change, job, you know, all the rest of the normal things, okay? But here's the other thing. Inflation, and this is not a political statement, is here to stay. And if anything, inflation is going to increase. So the, in all likelihood, your buyer or the seller that wants to buy, right, they're now buying it will, what will be probably the lowest price for whatever, you know, the property that they want to purchase, the lowest price in the house for probably the rest of their lifetimes. In other words, they buy now, a year from now, two years from now, five years from now, they're going to be thrilled that they purchased. I, Julie and I have, know many people that are in the finance industry, uh, like, you know, stocks, bonds, securities and whatnot, investor types. And they all pay attention to the bond market. They're paying attention to what you know Treasury notes are doing. They're paying attention to what M1 and M2 money supply is doing. And all this blah 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 stuff, which is kind of interesting, but very academic and you know not very good content for this podcast either. But really, what we have learned from listening to all of them is that all projecting that interest rates are not going to be increasing much more than what they are now because of what the look what happened with just the increasing of the rates, what it did to the whole banking sector, and yeah. that's probably not done. So you're going to see interest rates probably level off about where they are now, but you're going to see inflation most likely creep back up to double digits again. And it's going to stay there for a long period of time, which means that the house that Bob just bought for, you know, 500 grand next year is probably going to be worth 550 grand. Then it's going to be worth 600 grand. I know these numbers sound wackadoo, but remember, uh, leading up to midway through 2022, up to that point in the prior two years, most homes in the United States appreciated by 50%. Appreciated, air quote. The price went up. Appraised, or, uh, they inflated. And that's going to continue to happen. So if someone is on the fence about purchasing a house now because of all the usual psychological reasons, you've got to ask them the questions. Is a, In your opinion, is inflation going up or down? What have you seen, Mr. Perspective you know, client, well, that's gotten cheaper, you know, and you know, they'll just do their discursory studying and research of this and they'll agree inflation is going to go up, which means Mr. Seller or Mr. Buyer, the house that you want to purchase is going to be more expensive. And I'm going to tell you guys the net losers in all of this, what's going to happen now are the people that don't get themselves into a house. The people that don't get themselves into a house now are probably going to be priced out for a long period of time. And I mentioned this sure. the other day and some of you uh, shared your experiences as well. When Julie and I started selling real estate in the early 90s, um, we, you know, bought our, we, we did our first transaction when we were 23 and 22. 
the people that we are running into when we start selling a lot of houses, most a lot of those first-time buyers that we are working with at the time, you know, you get a lot of first-time buyers when you're new in real estate, right? And they're great. You love them. They were in their 40s. Now that's going to happen again. So put work this out in your head, right? The 80s were a time where, especially the beginning of the 80s, where you had really high interest rates, and then you a lot of the economy was sorting itself out through the 80s into the 90s. So if these people had come up in the 70s in their 20s and their you know where they should have been purchasing a house, they were priced out for a decade. That's going to happen again. So if you are on the fence about purchasing a home, you got to understand that everything with regards to your cost of living, from your rental price to your you know, obviously your your mortgage payment, the nice thing is, is you can lock it in right now, at, or, you know, not at the lowest of rates, but obviously a low rate. And you know what your payment's going to be for the next 30 years. A tenant is going to have their rent raised every single year, no matter what, along with inflation, because the landlord is having to pay more expense to keep the house up. Mm-hmm. Julie and I have dozens of rental properties and we have to raise our rents or otherwise we make no profit. And by the way, property taxes are going up too. You guys get the point here? You are in the right place at the right time. You just have to have the skill sets to help people, to coach people, to counsel people into knowing what the ramifications are of the decisions that they make not to transact now. And what you're going to have to realize is you need to make your inventory. That's the whole point. You can't, cannot be a passive lead generator in this marketplace. You have to be the person that's out there door knocking, making the phone calls. We teach you all of these skills in Premier Coaching. And guess what? You can join Premier Coaching right now 100% for free. Just go to premiercoaching.com, premiercoaching.com. We give you scripts. We give you objection handlers. We give you a 90-day massive action plan, the real estate treasure map. And by the way, you do get a semi-private daily coaching call when you join premiercoaching.com. Just go to premiercoaching.com. Or you can obviously text Premier to 47372 and we'll text you back a link. But most of you, um, you know, go to premiercoaching.com and enroll. Just go ahead and do that. That will give you the first step into your long-term roadmap for what will work as your business plan, your real estate uh, career for at least the next five to 10 years. We do not think there's going to be any significant change away from what we just described to you as far as the economic scenario for at least five years. So buckle in, accept this is what the market has to give you, and then step up to the opportunity that market presents. That's right. So Back to, I would list with you, but where am I going to go? So that was point number one. You might help them build. Point number two, consider buying first, closing, and then listing the previous home. Don't assume your buyer-seller prospects won't or can't utilize this option. They may have a down payment saved that is not part of their home equity. They might use a bridge loan to borrow their equity, close on the next home, and then sell the old one. You don't know if you don't ask. The advantage is that you're, to the client is that they can make a non-contingent offer, not contingent on home sale, secure their next home, and deal with their old house later. Make sure you know lenders who offer bridge loans and you understand how to explain this option. A bridge loan is when you borrow your equity from the old house without selling it. But ultimately, Julie, agents should be focusing on selling real estate, not trying to be mortgage lenders. They just need a, a cursory understanding. And you're going to have to make sure, the and again, we've done podcasts on this, the mortgage lenders you're working with are actually the mortgage lenders that are going to be able to uh, get deals done in this market. Yes. Many mortgage lenders, like many real estate agents, like many buyers and sellers, have been spoiled over the last 15 years, Very true. never having to learn how to do things that are a little bit off the menu to get real estate transactions done and help people solve their problems. In this case, knowing how to get some form of a bridge loan. Yes, that's right. And in fact, the really great lenders who do know are advertising that all over the place right now. I wonder when an, a lender uh, 
runs words, it runs ads with all these, you know, industry terms. Mm -hmm. How many real estate agents even know what the hell it is, let alone buyers and sellers? You could pretty much assume virtually none of them. This is why we have coaching. And this, right, this is the point. So when you're talking to a prospective client, uh, you're, do not assume they know anything because they know nothing, right? There's (laughs) no reason they would. It's not their fault. They've never had to. Houses have sold themselves with a thousand competing offers. They've always had equity. Mortgages were super cheap. They could probably move up substantially in house and have the payment be virtually the same. All these, you know, scenarios that you guys have been spoiled by. That's not really how real estate works in the real market. That's right. So point number three, consider selling first, renting for a while, and taking time to look for the right home. The advantage here is that the seller has cashed out their equity and is ready to pounce on the right home, but without the pressure of organizing closing and possession dates. So who are your go-to leasing agents? It might be you. Maybe you know how to lease. In other words, agents that specialize in, and there's leasing, you guys know this, property rental companies, Mm -hmm. uh, management companies really is what they call themselves. Find out what they've got. Oh, by the way, a lot of those management companies don't list properties. There you go. And you might be able to get referrals from those guys. For resale listings, yes. So consider both traditional rentals, that would be like a single family home like what we own, short-term vacation rentals that might consider a longer lease, as well as traditional apartment complexes. Many of those, especially the newer complexes, have really great amenities, which could work for shorter-term or longer-term leases while you help your client find the right home to buy. So the advantage to that is they have cash in hand, they know their house has been sold, they closed on it, renting for a little bit buys them time so they don't feel the pressure. I better just buy whatever's out there. Let's throw some more variables in there Mm because you could also go, Julie said short-term or longer-term lease. Well, why don't you contact, like when Julie and I moved to Puerto Rico, we were, uh, I mean, there's such a hot real estate market where we are in Dorado. It was very difficult to find a place. There was, uh, so Julie started calling these short-term VRBO type properties. Mm -hmm. And then we found out, yes, indeed, that many of the short-term uh, uh, landlords, owners would be more than happy to do a longer term lease. So you're going to have to think out of the box. Yes. And by the way, when you convert a VRBO, a short term lease into a longer term lease, you are not going to pay the same no. nightly rate. So don't, don't just multiply by 30 and say, holy cow, that's too expensive. You would negotiate a more reasonable term. Why would a short term owner want to do that? Because the short term owner has to pay the management company every time there's a short-term tenant in there. And sometimes it's like a 10% commission. In addition to that, the property gets a lot more wear and tear on it and they have to rehab, essentially recondition the property for every single, you know, tenant, every single night. Someone's there for two nights and someone, a different family's there for two other nights. That actually burns up a lot of their would-be profit. So it's just a, it's a mathematic problem, basically. Mm -hmm. If you can make it so that it makes sense for them and uh, to do a longer-term rental, they'll do it, of course. Absolutely. At least consider it. Okay. Point number four, option number four, consider getting the seller's home on the market now, but make the acceptance of an offer, quote, contingent on seller finding suitable housing. Now that language is all over the MLS right now. The buyer will probably want a specific time frame, but you can usually get 90 to 120 days to secure the next home for your seller that is now a buyer. Many buyers in today's market are just anxious to find the right home and will be flexible with the seller's situation. It is still a seller's market after all. So the advantage to your client is that they won't have to move twice and you've negotiated for them enough time to look for the next place. One of my coaching clients uh, told me that they got one of their seller's homes in contract, but they have the seller has a year lease I was back to the that. new owner. Yeah. Well, so let's frame that. Let's you know, drill down on that. Sure. So you, you have a listing. The seller... Uh, has a great property, the listing sells right away. The seller has no place to go, right? You guys are fearful of this scenario. 
Make it so that the buyer has to agree ahead of time. And by the way, well, the sticky part is whether or not they can uh, do it with the lender's approval. Um, you know, so let's get to that in a second. But you, you then insist, basically, that the new buyer rents the seller, uh, essentially leases the house back to the seller for as long a period of time as the seller needs. And the buyer won't like that. They obviously want to get in the house right away because they have the place to be. But that's not your or your seller's problem. And ultimately, yep. if the lenders that is you know working with that buyer uh, doesn't care for whatever reason, then you've got a essentially an extra advantage when it comes to negotiating, especially if you're representing the buyer. That's right. And uh, in this particular scenario, I said, well, that's interesting. You know, who wants to lease back to the seller for a year? And they said. In our market, there is so little to buy that the buyer was just happy to secure the property. You know, Julie, even if you if you're in a market like that, which is most mm -hmm. markets, and yeah. you're, uh, that would be actually a very um, I think competitive thing to offer that to the seller if you're a buyer's agent, even if they didn't necessarily ask for it. Yes, I mean you can put it in your offer to be yeah. to be flexible with the seller to give them more time. You know, there's different versions of how to do this, but that's a way to get it done. By the way, guys, we are more than uh, excited to talk with all of you about joining Julie and I at EXP Realty. Dozens of you so far this year have joined Julie and I at EXP Realty, and we would love the opportunity to earn the right to uh, have you partner with us at EXP Realty. We've made, we've created two distinct paths for you to learn more about partnering with Julie and I at EXP Realty. If you're just getting started and you're looking for information about EXP, well, that's easy. Just text the letters EXP to 47372. Text the letters EXP to 47372, and you'll be texted back our exclusive website that explains all the benefits of joining with Julie and I at EXP. Now, if you're ready to join and you have not yet chosen a sponsor, uh, I encourage you to text me directly at 512-758-0206. Again, if you're ready to join EXP and you've not yet chosen a sponsor, Julie and I are formally applying for the job of being your EXP Realty sponsor. Text me directly at 512-758-0206. We have found since you know the past three or four years since we've been working with EXP that many of you are uh, looking for the right time to join eXp. This is the perfect time to join eXp because of the nature of this market, frankly. And it would be our honor to be your partners at eXp. So please, if you're just getting started looking for more information, text the letter eXp to 47372. Or of course, you can just text me directly on my cell phone. Don't call, just text at 512-758-0206. And let's have a conversation about you moving forward and joining Julie and I at eXp Realty. Remember when texting message and data rates may apply. All right, our final point for today, and remember we're talking about a seller who is wondering where in the world they would move if they listed with you today and you got the house sold right away. So point number five, the seller could consider keeping the old house, turning it into a rental for now and proceed to find and purchase the next home. You can handle the lease yourself on their old house or refer it to, again, your favorite leasing agent or property management company. Now, if you do that, make sure if you do refer it out, which you know many of you will want to, I'll strongly suggest you have a covenant in that agreement with whoever the leasing broker is that whenever that property comes up for sale, if the seller ever decides to sell it, you automatically are, you know, obviously have right. first right of refusal for the listing, assuming the seller wants to hire you. 
Um, it, it shouldn't be a conflict. Most of the uh, listing brokerages and the property management companies will be more than happy to obviously have you be the listing agent in the case that the seller decides to sell. But ultimately, it's going to be your job to keep in contact with that seller. Now, what a lot of our luxury agents are doing is they're starting to do leasing of their own properties mm-hmm. in these scenarios because guess what? Really wealthy people don't ever have to sell. They can always turn their properties into rentals. We saw that happen uh, in the last big downturn. Um, and we're starting to see it again. If someone's got a really sweet property in a really sweet location and it isn't selling, they're going to lease it They're because, again, they have the ability to purchase without the sale. You need to seriously consider learning how to be a leasing agent. And that creates another uh, a recurring source of income because uh, you get paid in many cases monthly based on whatever the monthly rent is. We teach you guys how to do this in Premier Coaching, by the way. Now, why would you want to do that? Because you're going to make money every month. That's good, Right. But in addition to that, when that seller decides to uh, sell that property, you will then get the listing. And a lot of times the tenant you put into the property might also be the one that ends up buying it. That's right. Okay, so get this interesting twist right out of coaching calls, okay, to door knocking. Jeannie in Phoenix, okay, this is brilliant. She watches in the MLS the end dates for high-end leases. Oh, that's great. Isn't that awesome? She thought of that. And she door knocks them. Because most of those were uh, unintended landlords. They just kept it because of this. They wanted to buy and maybe we'll, we'll keep it. Not to mention the fact that like in our market, a high-end lease, there's people here that pay $25,000, $30,000 a month. That's right. And geez, I wonder if they could afford to maybe buy a house. I imagine they could. Right? So great prospecting idea there. Okay. Now, point number five, consider, this is what we're doing. Consider keeping the old house. And you're right. That happens more in the luxury high-end stuff because they can turning it into a rental for now and proceed to find and purchase the next home. Again, you can do the lease or refer it. The home stays an asset for your client and they can keep their low interest rate mortgage. If that was their objection, well, maybe they just want to keep the house. Now, I don't love this for agents because this is also suppressing inventory, but at least you get one side, which is the purchase. So don't assume that keeping the old house and turning it into a rental isn't an option. You have to ask. Well, so the way to use this as a marketing uh, uh, tool, basically, is when approaching a seller who doesn't necessarily have to sell would just assume keep it as a rental, ask them ideally would they like to cash out of it or be Mm -hmm. a long-term landlord. They're always going to say cash out of it 99% of the time, but they just for whatever reason have it in their mind that they want to keep it. So Mr. Seller, let's do this. Let's put it for lease. Let's put it for sale. And whichever way it goes in terms of whatever offers we get for a long-term lease or Mm -hmm. we get a purchase, we'll just do the math and whatever makes the most sense for you at the time. In other words, you're not saying, no, I'm not going to lease it. Or I don't do leases. Right. Don't say stuff like that because you won't get business in a market like this. You've Mm got to be flexible. You've got to have more skills. You've got to know how to do more stuff. That way you're going to be able to attract more people to want to do business with you. And again, I'll you know drill down on this, especially in the high end, this is true. So guys, listen, we're going to pick up tomorrow where we left off today. Hopefully you're enjoying this series. I know you are because you're keeping this the number one listen to daily podcast for real estate professionals in at least the United States. And by the way, thank you. Thank you for the wonderful birthday presents that all of you guys gave us. Uh, five-star reviews on iTunes. Now, in case you missed it, Julie and I had birthdays this month. And if you did not give us a birthday present, we're asking you to make it very simple. Just give us a five-star review on iTunes. It's very simple. Most of you, like 93% of you are listening to us on iTunes now. Scroll down, click the five stars, leave a piffy comment. We do sincerely appreciate the feedback. We appreciate, and we read, and you know, frankly, Julie and I uh, enjoy a lot of your comments. What we really like are the comments where you're telling uh, sharing 
with us, and by the way, the other people reading your comments, what it is that you learned, how it helped your real estate business, because it helps Julie and I to understand whether we're on track or we need to get back on target with regards to certain content we're delivering. We always keep this podcast very pure, very clean, very practical, not speculative. We're giving you guys direct action items so that you can go out and help people make money now because that is what you need in this podcast. There's no shiny objects here. There's no speculative stuff. We're not talking about woo-woo. We're talking about putting you in a position to help people make money. Thank you for keeping this number one listen to daily podcast for real estate professionals in at least the United States. Mm -hmm. And for all of our international listeners, we love you guys too. Have a great day. We'll talk with you on the show tomorrow. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.